Hello, my malicious mutts. Welcome to Cadaver Dogs. I am Devin Shepard. And I am David B. Jacobs. And Rob is probably throwing up in a trash can right now. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, unfortunately, Rob is not joining us today. He and his wife uh, got sick. I hope they're okay. Wish them well. Um, so it'll just be David and I chatting today, uh, which, whatever, I'm fine. Rob, Rob can go can go throw up in a toilet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rob's throwing up in a toilet, probably. Oh, I remember what I wanted to tell you was that. So my my grandfather's right outside of Chicago, so I went a day yes. early. You know this, the, the listeners don't. I went a day early just to explore Chicago a little bit because I love the city, and I went to a horror themed cafe. Nice. First of all, it's called the Brood. Yes. 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 Everything there's Cronenberg everywhere. It was so good. They have all this uh all these horror collectibles. All of their drinks are named after horror characters. Um they have because it's Chicago, they have a Candyman mural on the back wall. It's so fucking lit. It's so cool. You would love it. Oh man. Candyman. <laughs> okay, we can't say it anymore. We can't reach 5, David. Candyman. 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 No. David. <laughs> <laughs> I have no restraint. I am not afraid. <laughs> Cause I'm what? Yeah. Okay. Um, well. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. 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 Um. But that was what I was doing for the past week. What? Uh. Have you seen anything fun? I know. Before we left, we saw something together. Yes, we saw Pearl. We saw Pearl. <laughs> So obviously, listeners, we record these a bit ahead of time. So when we're recording, this Pearl is still relatively recent. For you guys, it'll have been like two months ago, shortly after we released our episode on X. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. And hopefully by this time, it will be on home video and everyone had seen it by now because I definitely recommend seeing it. It is so fucking good. Um, I'm glad we did X before Pearl came out because Pearl... It it would have felt like we would have had to reference it, but Pearl doesn't really get into the same themes. Like it, it touches yeah. on them, but it's definitely doing its own thing, and I like that. It's doing its own thing away from X, but also away from any other movie that I've ever seen. Like it <laughs> is such a unique being, and I I don't know. I loved it. I I had so much fun. This this is just how I was here right now. <laughs> oh yeah yeah you and i both walked out of the theater like not wanting to say anything to each other yet until we like got down and we're like okay I hope, yes i don't know at least i don't know about you but i was like I ho- okay I, I i hope david liked it because i really liked it and we were just like Same. i could feel us like holding it in and then being like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much it's like <laughs> it's weird enough that like it's not gonna be everyone's cup of tea and i get that but this is one of my favorites of the year, easily. This and X are both among my favorites of the year, easily. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so good. Um, and then you saw Barbarian recently. Yes. You also saw Barbarian, right? I did see Barbarian, yes. I'm still... I feel like I'm still processing a lot of it because it's... Okay. Because it's... It. I think it has a lot to do with gender from a it man's does. point of view. So it's like... It's just such an interesting... It's kind of hard to swallow and wrong at some points yeah. and then really hits things on the nose at other points. And I'm like, mm, it's hard. <laughs> it, it doesn't have anything interesting to say about gender, but it's definitely no. discussing gender. 
I, I, I really want to cover it on the pod at some point because I think it. Oh, really? There's a lot to talk about there. But uh, yeah, I think the monster specifically was was really interesting. But I don't want to. I don't yeah. want to like spoil anything for our listeners other than. Yeah, neither do I. You yeah. should go into this movie as blind as you possibly can. I did like it. I, I, I also left Neen to process a bit and figure out how much I liked it, but I knew I liked it because, like, I was not bored for a single moment during this movie. Like, I enjoyed everything that happened front to back. I just, I just, I just don't think it was that deep. <laughs> but I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I definitely want to have this conversation at length now um, <laughs> but we can't have it without spoiling the movie so we'll do it yes. off mic <laughs> we will we will do it the next time i see you hopefully before i disappear for two weeks <gasps> no david's going away yeah, well i'm gonna um, be working and then i'm going away um to that film festival by the time that this airs my short film pillow talk will have officially premiered at the atlanta horror film festival which I'm very excited for. And I'll be going there in person. So, yeah, cool. I'm so jealous you're going to go. Oh, I'm so excited <laughs> though. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, if, if you guys want, because we do record this two months in advance, uh, in order to get more up-to-date, like recent, this is happening this weekend news, where can I go watch our films, blah, 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 blah. Um, or even like our current thoughts on movies that are actually in theaters at the time <laughs> that you are, <laughs> that, it, that this is all happening. Um, be sure to just check us out on, on Twitter and Instagram. We're more, um, active on there. Uh, they're both cadaver dogs pod. So go ahead and check them out. Follow, Absolutely. like, comment, tweet at us. Please tweet at us. <laughs> I, I, I also have my letterbox. I am. Not that good at updating it, but I'm better with updating it for newer movies. So, like, I just wrote a really, really, really long review of Don't Worry, Darling. (laughs) (laughs) I will corroborate that David's reviews are very, um, I don't want to say dense, because that gives it, like, not the great connotation. But I think, like, they they fully... um, go through all of your thoughts about the film and are really well written you spend a lot of time Thank on those you. so it depends on recommend. the movie though like barbarian i think i just wrote two sentences um but <laughs> don't worry darling i'm just like i have so many things to say <laughs> what's what's your letterbox handle dbj film so check out dbj film i also have one i think it's cinema streets it i do do two sentence reviews because i'm just going for those those (laughs) punchy funny things but i also have a list of all the films that we've covered on the pod so if anyone oh nice ever wants to go back and and try to figure out what to watch and then listen to an episode you can go through that list i used to do one of those but i forgot i i I failed to update it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i might be slow on updating it but uh it happens it (laughs) happens it's updated now so with that i think we're ready to go into our two films today. This is a fun pairing. I feel like we say that every single time, but I, I feel like there's so much to talk about here. Obviously, you guys have tuned in for one of these movies. I'm guessing which one it is, but you'll hear a lot of our thoughts about both of them. You've seen the title of the episode. You know what the movies are. You, you know what they are. You know what <laughs> we're mean, talking about today. Give us the, the rundown <laughs> on the first one. All right. I'll bring us to the first film. On the outskirts of the city of New Orleans lies vast swamplands scattered with old plantations. In one home, seemingly lost to time, lives a couple, Violet and Ben. Ben has recently suffered a stroke and is practically mute and paralyzed. 
Violet, aging away herself, puts an ad in the paper for a hospice caretaker. Enter Caroline. Caroline moves into the home and takes care of Ben. She soon discovers a locked hoodoo room where hoodoo rituals were once held. She tells Violet and Violet says, oh, well, let me tell you the story of the house. Once upon a time, this house once belonged to, surprise, a rich white couple, their children, and their black servants named Papa Justify and Mama Cecile. This is the South. This is a plantation. Like, this, it, it's New Orleans. One night during a party, the parents find their children in the hoodoo room with the servants. The white folks then very gruesomely murdered Justify and Cecile. Haunted by this story, Caroline begins to notice strange things about the house that cause her to become skeptical of Violet. Could Violet be using hoodoo to paralyze Ben? The more Caroline questions her situation, the more she believes this to be true. Eventually, she seeks to use hoodoo against Violet and use it in order to rescue Ben from the house. That was just Violet's plan all along. You see, Violet is in fact Mama Cecile. She's been using her powers to transfer herself, to transfer her soul into others in order to elongate her life. More so body switching. In the end, Caroline becomes her latest victim and Mama Cecile and Papa Justify prevail. This is The Skeleton Key, directed by Ian Softley, written by Erin Kruger, starring Kate Hudson, Peter Sarsgaard, Joy Bryant, Gina Rollins, John Hurt. Great cast. Yeah, really good cast. Gina Rollins. Is... Oh, and Gina Rollins. Yes. I mean, I, I, I'm really bad at recognizing accents. Apparently, everyone makes fun of her accent in this movie, and I'm just like, oh, okay, it's... That's probably correct. I, I'm bad at accents. <laughs> so I, I, I never notice when someone has a bad accent unless I'm used to their real accent. So there are only three on-screen deaths in this movie. There's the old man in the beginning, and then the blink-and-you'll-miss-it lynching flashback. Can we talk about that? Like, like, given how overall tame the film is, what do you think it does that the only real instance of violence is so brutal and rooted in reality? It's so brutal. It's so brutal, in fact, that the director even said he had to cut back some of the brutality due to MPA. So it was going to be more brutal. Like, oh, really? Yeah, I agree. It was so out of place, like so violent, so just horrifying to watch, which I think was the intent to play directly on the so-called white guilt of audience members is just like it's 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 cultural re-traumatization in in my eyes just i'm kind of what what you just said makes sense that he had to ban it back some kind of a two minds that of the one mind it it does feel like unnecessarily brutal and like what is the point of this why are we just suddenly throwing this lynching scene into this movie and I'm also of the other mind that is like, it's almost tame in some ways for what its actual subject matter is that Ugh. like it's quick cuts and then it's just almost not referenced ever again. And it's like, what? Why? It's really weird. It's re it's very out of place. Yeah, it really isn't. And the approach in the film, and I think this is something that we'll talk about throughout our analysis of the film, is they don't really talk about the race issue like 
at all. Like it's it's a racially motivated murder lynching. Oh yes. Yeah, but that's not yes, even yes. like they don't even talk about that. They don't even say at any point. I don't think they say that this is this isn't I guess a plantation necessarily cuz the person mm. the old owner it was a banker, but that's not to say that it once wasn't once a plantation. I don't know. I mean, at that point, I, I don't think they were slaves. I think they were servants. Right. This um, is the 1920s. Although, yeah. Uh, oh, it was I 1920s? Think. I thought it was like the 1890s. I don't know. Something like that, though. It was post-abolition. Um, yeah. Although you could definitely argue that like similar ideas apply as though they were slaves. I know people have frequently interpreted this movie as being about black revenge. That the... the Slaves or servants are rioting. Mm. Do you agree with that? I think I think it's there. I mean, I think we should say that the people that wrote and directed this film are white. Um, yes. Yeah. And I think, like, especially in the lens of these two films, like, it is about education. Like, as we're analyzing mm. this, it is about, you know, educating our, ourselves on different viewpoints of the film, but also on, like, just what is being talked about by the filmmakers in both of these movies. Yes, so we're approaching it with an educational lens. So please weigh in at any point. Um, I, yeah, I'm sure we'll say something that we yes. can uh, do better on. <laughs> For instance, <laughs> um, back on point, I yes. actually don't think that the movie is about black revenge as much as it is discussed being. I mean, we just talked about that lynching scene, but I think a key thing to remember in that lynching scene is that, per the twist, those were not the black characters who were being lynched. Those were yes. the white children in black bodies. And importantly, Papa Justify and Mama de Cecile did this original sin of swapping themselves with the white children before the lynching crime. Yeah, but then at the, at the same time... It, it's hard to say because, you know, what what we do see are two black people being hanged and burned. Um, yes. And for all intents and purposes, like they watch themselves that was once their body. They do watch mm. them, them suffering. Um, so in a way, this movie does become complicated because then in that sense, <laughs> the main characters that we see um, through Gina Rollins and John Hurt's characters, Violet and Ben, um, they are white but they are inhabited by black souls. So then in your case, David, there's a whole nother way to look at this movie of are we seeing it as through the the race that they present or through the the souls inside of them? Yeah, it's a, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. And Black Revenge itself is... It, it it is problematic, and it it's interesting that people view the film that way, um, and I think is is one of the reasons why this film is controversial, because it 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 does villain vilify the the black characters. Yeah, and honestly, given that they started these crimes before the thing that they're allegedly getting revenge for, like I honestly don't think that the movie portrays them sympathetically at all. I, I really do see them as just strictly villainous. Yeah. Their motivation is immortality. They're not candy, man. They're they're just evil. And I and that is the problem, right? Is that like they totally are 
evil and we don't <laughs> we don't really they at one point they <laughs> the director or writer tried to like give sense to their their yeah to what they do um tell me i think what they're describing the family and how they like oh this is what it was it was um how the the banker the owner of the house treated the servants they do describe that a little bit in that they mm. did that he did abuse them um mm. So in that way, we get a little more background. But again, you know, if they're showing this violent lynching scene, they don't show any of those moments of of abuse from from the owner of the house. Yeah, I feel like the movie brushes up against the ideas and it has the opportunity to talk about racial inequality or that the or, or about the reconstruction area when the slaves were freed and they were given the right to vote only to have that right taken away. And we're then given such few financial paths forward that that's why you wound up with so many black servants post-slavery. But by making it not a revenge, by making it that they swapped before and that it's the white children who are lynched, it, it feels to me at least like they are specifically avoiding discussing that. I see what you're saying. So to you, taking away the race aspect of it to you, this isn't a revenge period film. Like yeah, this isn't, it's not, a they're revenge not getting revenge. Film. Yeah. Yeah. And then the history of, of slaves at that time, especially in this area should be prevalent. And I think is in, in audiences minds, but you're right because the film doesn't touch on it themselves. Yeah. It's not necessarily strictly commenting on, on race or revenge here. Although it's really close to it. Uh, something interesting i came upon um i mean their names are justify and cecile so justify okay that's self-explanatory his name is justify needs to justify his actions seek justice blah 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 cecile also though maybe it could have come from cecile fatiman who was a historical figure in the haitian revolution that she was the one who prophesied revolution and help to empower the men to lead it through a ritual uh, ceremony. I, I see the parallels there. I don't think the movie explores them, but I find it interesting that that might be her namesake, maybe. That's really interesting. Okay, so I don't know a lot about the Haitian uprising that you mentioned. Do you have a little background on it that you could give us? Not too much. Um, I kind of had to do my research really rapidly for this one. Uh, from my understanding, listeners, please correct me if I'm incorrect, and please do your own research and don't take things I'm saying as fact. But my understanding is that in Haiti, they were enslaved by France. It was an imperialistic thing, and all the Haitian natives were made to be slaves. And then there was an uprising, and it's basically considered like one of the maybe the only really successful slave uprising in history that they overthrew mm. their masters and got their own independence, at least at the time, and got to run their own country. Um, and then it's also relevant that most of the black slaves in New Orleans and Louisiana were specifically imported from Haiti Right. And Louisiana was plagued by all these fears in throughout the 1800s that they would be inspired by the Haitian Revolution and do the same thing there. That I think like that's really what is interesting and I think reflects a lot of like why use this topic as a horror movie and 
I I I want to save that conversation more so towards our comparison um, stage because I think one major thing that we're going to be talking about today is is othering as we do in every single episode um, yeah. as, as horror does, but othering specifically of another race. And I think this is why we chose these movies to compare together. So mm-hmm. I think that'll be a really good one for that. But I think you're really that's that's really key. Um, but I mean, you brought it up. I, I think something else that is heavily uh, a, a a huge theme in the skeleton key is obviously hoodoo or therefore voodoo, which also comes from Haiti. It comes from Haiti. It's practiced in many parts. Um, my understanding that hoodoo is some argue it's not a domination of voodoo and it came up completely separate in fuck. I forget where now. <laughs> uh, I think in Western Africa. Yes. Thank you. Yes. That hoodoo came up in Western Africa. Others say that it's kind of a denomination of voodoo uh, or that it was inspired by voodoo or that it's the melting pot of voodoo in New Orleans specifically. But there, there is a connection between voodoo and voodoo. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the biggest distinction is that voodoo is more so a, a, a practicing religion, that there is a... a um, belief system in place, whereas hoodoo is more of um, it's more of what people would say is magic. That that hoodoo is more of a a practice of this this magic that does is reflecting a bit a bit in voodoo, but it has no um, ties or or it is not rooted in a a deity or a um, extended belief system more say. So yes, it it is more of like um, these traditions and these spells, so-called rituals. And as you're probably aware, famously in films, voodoo and hoodoo are villainized and kind of perverted into something that is really just completely inaccurate to what they actually are. Yeah, because it is seen as, you know, stemming from not only elsewhere outside of the United States, even though it was very much popularized in the United States in New Orleans, which is so odd to me that, you know, it is villainized, even though it's part of our history. Um, But because it it stems mostly from the enslaved people that came over from from Haiti and West Africa. Yes. And because, again, they the white people were afraid of another slave revolt. Um, and because they believed that voodoo was part of that slave revolt, a lot of this villainization stems from that. Like you can find specific sources that were either exaggerating or straight up lying and just spreading myths and rumors throughout the 1800s about voodoo saying that like, Oh, there's cannibals or, they're involved in all these crazy orgies. Like th- these are things that people actually said, which are just nonsense and not real. Uh, voodoo dolls are not really a thing. Um, in the zombies, in the sense that we have learned about them, in a yeah. way, <laughs> yeah. Uh, zombies in the original tradition are completely different than zombies we know today. Um, although I mean that one's a little bit more complicated. George Romero's movie doesn't even use the word zombie. I don't know why we wound up calling them zombies. <laughs> oh, the great, the great history of zombies. Yeah, it makes no sense. Um, in the Haitian tradition, they've actually been 
translated as a metaphor for slavery. A lot of people interpret the Haitian zombie as a metaphor for slavery. That it's a body that the soul has left and is being enslaved through a magical ritual. Oh, weird. I think that might uh, that might play well into a theory that I have for our next film. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. <laughs> I think something else with voodoo specifically, too, is that it can be seen as anti-Christian, even though it has roots in Christianity, actually. It does. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of voodoo practitioners consider themselves Catholic. Not all of them, but a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, it's seen as a branch, but, you know, to... And I'm generalizing here, but to specifically uh, uh, white Christians, you know, it is it is seen as anti-Christian. And this is something that we talk about a lot when we talk about our 80s films, uh, which is like every episode, um, that it, it's, you know, threatening to the the so-called idealistic white American way of life, uh, which includes Christian values. Um, in, in fact, in the film, just going Back to the film and fast. Oh, sorry. Did you have something to say on that? Oh, okay. No, that was a mistake. Uh, in in the film, um, they describe and this this is hoodoo in the film. They don't talk about voodoo, but um, they do describe hoodoo as American folk magic and say God doesn't have much to do with it. Uh, so I think that there is a a I'm I'm gonna generalize there and say that's more of a direct hit into the the racial difference between everything. I would straight up argue that the movie plays into the fear mongering of voodoo and yeah. voodoo. Um, they're literally using it to make their black villain scary. <laughs> I I I noticed this something this time watching it, um, and I'm curious your thoughts here. So when we are first introduced to the house, um, when when Caroline first enters, the first thing she sees is a giant, I think, Mary statue that's in the house. And throughout the house, there are a few other um, Christian Christian symbols. I was wondering what you thought the purpose was of those. I did not pick up on this, but I would like to know what you thought of them. <laughs> I I'm having trouble because this is, you know, the house is very much run by, I'm going to say Mama Cecile in Violet's body. Um, and I am, it is, it is curious, like the film seems all over the place. Cause I agree with you of what you're saying that, you know, it's, it's vilifying this, um, this religion, but at the same time, it's kind of like giving, uh, giving sense to it. I think they do a good job about talking about, you know, what hoodoo necessarily is and showing what it means to the, the people, um, specifically outside of New Orleans and the swamp areas. And maybe by mm. using the Christian statues in the house, it shows that like, no, actually this is a, it could be a branch or they could be Catholic. I mean, could those also just be left over from old man Thorpe, the banker? Could they be over a hundred years old? They did not look over a hundred years old, which is the question. Or it could be part of keeping up their presence. I'm, I, I, I literally didn't pick up on this, so I'm just theor theorizing blind. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm just curious because yeah. and and she's so particular about the house too that like, would she not just get rid of those? They get rid of all the mirrors. I'm sure people would find that odd and doesn't necessarily keep up with their appearance as much. Maybe <laughs> it's just something to ponder, and I'm curious. I mean, if anyone else has has theories out there, again, uh, reach out to us and and let us know. They do have other black people in the movie as well. Um, all side characters, but 
it, it is interesting to see how those ones interact with these traditions. I mean, I guess that you could say that like some of the people at the Creole gas station or whatever, like they're they're not necessarily playing into a villainous idea of voodoo, but or hoodoo. But they're they're still like playing up the stereotypes of hoodoo. Oh, one thousand percent. The I think they have jump scares with that blind woman. Um, yep. They have jump scares with the black man who's like chucking shucking oysters or whatever the hell. Um, yeah, they definitely they definitely create monsters with those people. Okay, so you did mention the the side characters who are black, mm-hmm. and I also think that was a really interesting um, choice specifically Jill who mm-hmm. says that she doesn't believe in the hoodoo um and she kind of just lets Caroline go off and figure it out herself which i found really interesting and then Violet also says the black ones never stay um referring to the the nurses that come um yeah. they don't stay long enough to fall for her tricks and it's worth mentioning even though Jill claims not to believe in it she still like doesn't want to mess with it or whatever yeah, even though fully into it. No, I I I found this really interesting and the way that I started reading it or the way that I saw that this could be read, I'm curious if it was in- intentional was maybe this could be a a culture thing that there is a a threat on this culture being passed down through the people that you know, whose ancestors brought it over here in the first place. Um, that there is this fear of losing this this culture specifically um, in 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 black lineage more so, um, and with that kind of also hints at this cultural appropriation when seeing Caroline, you know, like you said, adopt to it and start to believe it, even though she may not really want to or doesn't really understand it, and then become possessed by a black woman. Yes, so totally cultural appropriation. <laughs> but it is a thing that Cecile in Caroline's body says, I told you I wanted a black one this time. What do you think of that line? <laughs> what do you make of that? It's like the only mention towards race in the entire film, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. On the one hand, it, 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 it almost expresses that there is this horror of the black person becoming a white person, that she doesn't actually want that. Yes. Um, or you could even argue it as something like, uh, you know, people often read it as like, oh, they have to inhabit white bodies so that they can escape the horrors of being a black person. Maybe now that's not such a big deal and we can be black people again. And we should yeah. do that. Can we can we focus on that theory for a moment? Because I think that's really interesting is that it's also playing into a supposed fear of of white people in this instance, since we are vilifying black people. This is why I'm saying this um, or not. We but the film is villainizing, villainizing black people in the way that like, oh, uh, you know, they're they're becoming more empowered now because, yeah, they don't have to hide in white bodies and can you know, be themselves and, uh, you know, spread their own culture throughout our Mm. white women. (laughs) I don't feel like any of this was intended at all. I think it's just kind of 
I mean, I think there is a way to read that line in a way that is actually positive toward the movie and where you say like, oh, it is like, I don't know if it's empowering. I feel like I'm too white to give a good answer to this. Fair. And I feel like everything I just said is like, you know, take this, whatever. But yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Um, I think like another theory of mine is like, I don't know enough about the making of this film and I, I mm -hmm. want to research more. And if I had an extra, I don't know, however much DVD is to listen to the commentary right now, I would. But um, it, it could just be a thing where the producers, the lead may not have been written as we don't know how the read it, the lead is written, but the person that can sell the film is Kate Hudson in 2004, you know, like, yeah, who knows if this woman was ever meant to be white in the first place. This gets into my other reading as well. Uh, I'm not going to go so far as to say that the writer wanted her to be a black woman because the writer's also a white guy. Like, I don't I don't think it ever crossed his mind. I think it's just assumed in Hollywood, especially in that time, but even now that your lead needs to be the white woman. So we need to be exploring this through the perspective of a white woman. I mean, even fucking Orange is the New Black, which is, like, known for having all these, like, racial interplay and whatnot, still was started off like, we need to go into this world through the perspective of a rich white woman. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, this line almost just feels like it's trying to just dismiss that and explain it away. Yeah, like, they're trying to, like yeah they're trying to be like no she actually it's not about race she she really does want to be in a herself i don't know it's it's yeah i the movie would have been so much better if jill was in kate hudson's role i i totally agree and i think by putting kate hudson in the lead it it makes the film more about race and i mean again this film does not explicitly say that this is about race and that is the only line in here that touches on race and it could just not yeah. be about the anything at all um, i mean i think even keeping it about race if you had a black protagonist that you could have more interesting conversations about it and you could discuss like the trauma of being a black slave versus being a black person today and what is the interplay between those ideas there's so much missed potential. <laughs> I know. There's there there really really is. Um, I'd love for a black writer to write a sequel to this movie, uh, where Kate Hudson is old now and is trying to possess a a a younger black protagonist. I I think that would yeah. have real potential if they were to do that. I I would love that, and I will say like. Um, originally when wanting to to pair this film and looking specifically more at like um, the voodoo and hoodoo culture and how we have uh, talked about yeah. it through America um, I knew that every that this film was made by white people and I was like okay but we need a black perspective on this and yeah. trying to find a horror film that involves voodoo from a black perspective very hard very very hard so there's a reason for that yeah and and we very much need a a black perspective voodoo film because one that doesn't vil vilify black people or this religion or hoodoo in general again i think there's a reason that there is no horror movie about voodoo that is written by a black person i i think there's <laughs> I think there that's not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Fair, 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 fair. Of course, if we're wrong, I'd I'd love to be proven wrong because I, I yes, watch please, that movie. Yes, please, prove us wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there was one more thing that I wanted to talk about that this was my first time realizing it on this watch. So even though we agree this film isn't necessarily talking about race, during the credits, the song they chose to play over the, the credits is Elvis's song about civil rights and equality. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I did not piece that together. Right? So I'm like, you don't comment on race at all in this film, at least not in a in a cohesive way where you're actually making a comment about anything. And yet your like big wrap up song is about race equality. Can you explain to the audience why it being Elvis is also funny? Oh, <laughs> yes. So um, Elvis, um, you know, he's the king of rock and roll and he was very much inspired by black cultural culture in general. Um, specifically in Memphis, Tennessee. And so there is a lot of controversy with Elvis, you know, saying that he appropriated this this music. Um, but also at the same time, Elvis was, you know, he's a white guy, but he is um, also trying to use his voice to, to talk about equality in that sense. Um, I don't know enough about Elvis and specifically what happened. I do know like the parameters and that this is a very, yeah, very controversial space. So I can't say like for certain. Yeah, same. I don't All know the specifics. I will say that I know he yeah. didn't write his own songs. Yeah, um, and this one um, at the end he, did, he didn't people, write. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. This yeah, this one at the end. Them. Yeah, this one at the end was written by two white guys. Um, but it is one that they say you know that was very near and dear to Elvis, who specifically um, you know wanted to highlight the injustices that were were going on, and so he did mm. um, promote this song. But it's a really interesting choice. I mean. I don't actually think that the movie is not saying anything about race. I just think that it's not very thought out in what it's saying about race. I, I do think that it is intended to have racial significance, just not one that they like had anything actually to say. <laughs> if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yes. No, I think it makes sense. I think I think I agree. It's messy. Yeah. And I think maybe all the stuff that that they are probably might be saying about race, we can get into a little deeper um, in our comparison section. Great. So with that, um, I think we're ready to move on to our next film. David, can you introduce us? All relationships have a few hurdles they must overcome. The first date, the first time you do things that would offend Jason Voorhees, and the first time you meet the parents. After four, actually five, months of dating, Chris and Rose have reached that point. It's normal for Chris to be nervous, but there's one extra thing bothering him. Uh, Rose's parents don't know he's black. Rose never thought to bring it up, deeming it irrelevant, and insisting her parents are definitely not racist. But well, maybe Chris had reason to be nervous, as the entire first night is filled with subtle oddities. Rose's father, Dean, keeps calling him my man, her brother Jeremy is really determined to fight him, playfully. Her mother Missy wants to hypnotize him to cure him of his cigarette habit. Oh, and also they have black servants, Georgina and Walter, who are dressed like they're in a 60s period film and keep on creepy smiling at Chris. Realizing these microaggressions, 
Rose vehemently apologizes, but Chris dismisses it. He's used to this kind of stuff, and it's not like they're trying to kidnap him and body swap him with the Caucasian blind art dealer, thus sentencing Chris to a life in prison as a passenger in his own body, right? Oh, wait. So it turns out Rose is totally evil and has spent the entirety of her relationship with Chris lying to his face as she preps him to become the vessel for some old white person. This is something the Armitages are quite good at, having perfected the Caligula process. Coagula? Coagula? I think it's Coagula. Coagula process. And they regularly auction off the bodies of black people to be possessed as a means of achieving immortality for their white patrons. Uh, Georgina and Walter, those creepy servants, those are actually Rose's grandparents. By the time Chris catches on, it's too late. He's been auctioned, and now he has no means to take the warning of another body swap victim and get out. Don't worry too much, it has a happy ending. See, after being brutally traumatized, Chris fights his way out of the Armitage house. He takes out each family member one by one and even frees Walter the Gardener from his imprisonment, a temporary freedom which Walter uses to shoot Rose in the stomach and then himself. It wasn't clear when I said it has a happy ending, I was being a little bit ironic. As Chris is left surrounded by bodies, debating whether or not to finish off his kyanic he hears a siren. A police vehicle is before him, having caught a black man escaping a house of dead white people. Luckily, this is Chris's friend Rod of the T.S. motherfucking A. The two drive off, leaving the Armitages and their horrific cult behind them. This is Get Out, written and directed by Jordan Peele, starring Daniel Kaluuya, Allison Williams, Bradley Whitford, Catherine Keener, and Betty Gabriel. And it won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Fuck yeah! What? <laughs> What? But this is a horror movie, David. <laughs> well, they didn't say that at the time. They were all like, "Oh, it's not a horror movie. It's a it's a psychological thriller." You you just only for for a horror movie to win. They just need to completely rebrand it. And they were like, "You know, it's about race. Don't worry about the sci-fi stuff that you guys obviously don't like." But it's it's, it's, it's psychological thriller. <laughs> actually, actually, that that does bring me to my first question because. So many thoughts, so many thoughts on that specifically. But do you think this film, it's clearly this is a movie about race on like our last one that is is a little more subtle, but this one is straight up. Um, do you think this film was made with a white audience in mind or a black audience in mind as the priority audience? Great question. Um, <laughs> so... Obviously, with that whole Oscar race thing, it winds up going for the white audience by rebranding itself and all that. And obviously, we are two white people who I assume both love this movie a lot. I I mean, I love this movie. Uh, I, I don't think it was made specifically for white audiences, or if it was, then it was trying to appeal to white audiences in a different way. Then it was trying to appeal to black audiences, and definitely the white audience was secondary, I think. Yeah, I, I, I more or less agree with that. I think 
seeing this movie in theaters was was an experience, particularly because I saw it in a very diverse part of Brooklyn. So I saw both reactions to this movie. Oh. One being the mostly the the black audience laughing the entire time and the white audience oh, really? cringing. Uh <laughs> And and I like I'm not kidding. There was a stark difference in their reactions to this film. Um, It it, it was fascinating, and so I think in that sense, like I do agree with you. I think this was made primarily for for a black audience, but it does have a white message or a message for the white audience. Um, In that, and it is a it is a relearning experience. Apparently, uh, Bradley Whitford when he had the uh, voting for Obama third timeline. Bradley Whitford didn't realize it was a joke and thought it was completely sincere. And once he understood what was happening, he was like, oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I, I find it really funny because if we look from the perspective, and this is the point too, if we look from the perspective of the Armitage family, um, and like you said in your synopsis, Rose says they're not racist. Because they, I think they honestly believe that they're not and that everything they're saying is actually, you know, supporting black people. And they're like, no, 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 you're, you're, you're better. You're better for some things. Like we support you. You're totally fine. But it's just like the way of you bringing that up in the first place makes it ignorant. Yeah. I mean, you can say that you're not racist and be racist yeah also that <laughs> I, I i'm i'm sure that the skeleton key uh doesn't see anything problematic with this <laughs> definitely uh, not uh it's i i mean they i mentioned the my man thing and they call that out specifically they make you aware that uh white people saying my man specifically to black people and not to everyone else is like you are clearly making a differentiation there. You are, yes, clearly like assimilating culture and whatnot. And then later in the movie, while he's not one of the Armitages, uh, Jim Hudson, the art dealer, when he's prepping Chris for the replacement and explaining it, he says like, "Oh no no no, this isn't a race thing. I'm not. I don't care about your race at all. Uh, I'm not racist. I just want your eyes." man yeah man yeah there's definitely a level of appropriation i guess in that sense but also like not like um like like they say you know black is in and some people just want to be cool but then some things that they do like the shaking of the hand like chris going in to dap logan slash dre's uh hand and uh, Logan slash Dre just shakes it and it's like okay <laughs> there's a difference I love that uh, I mean that's also great because like the, the these old white people possessing the younger black bodies that they can be more hip or better at sports which is something that they they, they play into that stereotype a lot yeah. that he can have better eyes but like that 
moment also and moments like that specifically point out that it doesn't really make sense like he he is still a white person even if he is in a black body he is not going to suddenly be cooler <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and it in a way it it does fetish it fetishes that it fetishes that no what's the right word fetishizes fetishizes wow it fetishizes. i thought i knew how to say that but that is weird to say <laughs> It fetishizes black people uh, more so for their body and separates them from their mind. Well, there were two great articles that that we read. I'm going to shout out both of them. One is on Fangoria uh, for the the for the series The Swallowing, entitled "Body Snatchers and Spell Get Out and Hairwolf," written by Leah Anderson, and then another one that was on Medium. Um, called Invasion of the Body Snatchers, written by Danny Bethia. And both of these point out this specific portrayal in Get Out, which is the the fetishizing of, of the black body and the separation of of the black mind that that inhabits it. Whereas the white people don't treat black people as as people. Specifically, this this Hudson character, which I find really interesting, and I think um one of the authors pointed it out in their articles that yeah, he thinks that by possessing Chris's body, he will suddenly get, you know, his eyes, which will then come with Chris's ability to his artistry. Chris is a photographer and he thinks he has a really good eye, but that eye isn't physical. It's, it's emotional. It's soulful. It's, yeah. it's not the body. It's not the physical eye. It's Chris himself. And on that body and mind thing, there's also this moment when with uh, Jeremy at the dinner table, Jeremy's the brother, when he's talking about jujitsu. <laughs> and he, he's basically saying like, oh, you have a really great body, so you'd be really strong. And uh, but but I know jujitsu and that's a chess game. It's all about the mind. It's like okay, so basically you're saying black people are stronger, but white people are smarter is, is basically what he's saying. Yeah. And the father, I think actually the the father or the grandfather says this um, when they're talking about it. They're like, oh, with your physical abilities and our determination, we can create, you know, like the greatest thing ever horrible also just a quick doesn't really connect but i just want to throw out this quick aside rose is the one who entrapped both georgina and walter we don't know their i don't think we never learned their actual names she had sex with those bodies <laughs> that she put her grandparents into <laughs> she, she did she she keeps she... the pictures <laughs> Why does everything that we watch turn into incest? <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I just I just want to mention that 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 is a thing that happens in this movie. <laughs> oh my god, wait, 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 wait. I know we'll talk about comparisons later, but also there is incest in the skeleton key, right? Oh yes, there is. There is incest in the skeleton key. Because Justify and Cecile are partners, but they then inhabit a brother and sister. And live in there for like 60 years. Yeah, they definitely had sex in those bodies. Come on. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Rob's not even here and we, we got to incest. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I mean, look at the movies we're discussing. Like, they just bring it up. <laughs> it's just right there. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. Literally. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, one thing I was going to say that I really love that I just, that uh, on this watch, 
I think I understood just watching it after having read these articles about the mm. the body and mind separation. Chris wins in the end. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Chris wins in the end by using his mind. He actually outsmarts them at first. And that is so needed to show that like he is more than his body and he actually is, is yeah. smarter than these people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is why at the end when he's uh, strangling Rose and then she, she begins to smile it's such a oh, it's such a good moment because she sees in him that he is, you know, playing into exactly the fears and beliefs of her family. You know, that he is like winning through his at that point brutality. And that's why she begins to smile, that creepy ass fucking smile. Mm. And mm. then that's why he lets go because he realizes that he's better than everything that they thought that he was, you know? That makes sense. I was actually wondering about that. I like that you how you explained that. I, I like that. Ah, oh, brilliant. Can we actually talk about Chris's character for a minute? Yeah. I've seen this movie a lot of times now, like four or five times. Uh, so this watch, I was kind of really queuing into Chris specifically and why does it have to be this specific protagonist? And, you know, the backstory they give, which it doesn't immediately seem to connect, is about how his mother was killed in a hit and run when he was a child she didn't die instantly but he was right inside watching tv and he did nothing he just sat there i think that what like obviously this is like his trauma that he's carried with him his whole life and i think that what that does for him is it paints him as someone who when terrible shit is happening he tends to dissociate he tends to try to push it to the back of his mind and ignore it which is also mm -hmm. what he is doing with all of these white people being subtly racist toward him as he's trying to push it away. He's dissociating from him. He's like, it's no big deal. I'm used to it. Right. Yeah, I agree. He's kind of allowing them to to have the power in the situation and yes. doesn't necessarily fight back. I, I think that's a beautiful reading. And I think, you know, it's something that we see um, motifs of the deer specifically mention his mm -hmm. A call back to that moment with his mother, um, the deer on the side of the road. He sees the deer over the television, yeah, um, in in the basement when he's when he's handcuffed, and he, that image is also so interesting because you know the TV's right under him, and so it, it calls back that moment of him just watching television or choosing, yeah, to go after the deer. Yeah, I, I there's several hit and run moments which I think can relate back to that. So through that with the deer in the beginning, you wind up seeing deer as a metaphor for race and then the dad raving about how uh, deer are terrible and we need to exterminate them and they're, they're riddance on the world like that's just him revealing his racism yeah that was a the very blatantly obvious scene that yes. was very hard to to watch <laughs> and then chris kills him with the deer head yes yes he does i love that but then the other hit and run moment is at the very end when Chris hits Georgina with his car and goes back to pick her up. It's like the one time he doesn't dissociate in that one. Maybe he should have because then she immediately attacks him and he would have gotten away. <laughs> yeah, that's so hard. I mean, because you see, I think there is so much symbolism in this movie about about mm. um power structure in general mm. 
and and to watch you know a a black person no matter who's in i mean inside is both a black person and a white person um they've they've fallen to this white power right it just yes. just like yeah and so i see that struggle with him and it is so fascinating of him debating whether or not to to go back and help her because it's like who who is she really in that moment like is she georgina or is yeah. she the grandmother um and where does yeah. your allegiance lie it shows it shows that power struggle that is it, it's it's very complicated it's a sunken place it, it is. I I agree with that. Actually, I think there are so many theories about the sunken place, but for me, that's that's what it is, and why his backstory works perfectly because it's the sunken place is that moment that he felt in front of the television when his mother was dying, was yes. paralyzed as as they describe it, um, powerless, um, helpless, totally lost. Yeah, exactly. That sunken place scene is maybe the creepiest in the film. Um, if you haven't seen the movie in a while, <laughs> The Sunken Place is um, when the mom, Missy, hypnotizes him. She tells him to sink into his chair and he sinks. And basically the entire movie becomes like he's in this almost void space like area. And the reality of his vision becomes just like this little square that just shrinks farther and farther away from him like a television. Uh, it's 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 creepy and it is the way the movie visualizes being trapped in your own body it's so good and something when we were preparing for this episode rob was bringing up the motif of television and unfortunately we won't get to hear his theory on, on it but um it got me thinking about why we we do chris talks about television a lot and obviously it's very important for his backstory and i guess in a sense like for me, it could also be a way of showing how he is getting uh, washed up in this in this white culture. And as you were talking about being kind of like a, a passenger, as they eventually describe it, Stephen Root's character, the, the gallery owner, says your existence will be as a passenger. And that's kind of how I see Chris before he even gets to this house. So he's getting washed up in this and, and you know, during this time, we're talking a lot about black representation in film and how there isn't enough of it now, but um, how there was starting to be, not even starting to become more, but how there needed to be more at the time. And I see that uh, as as television being kind of a representation of that in a small way, if that makes sense. That by him watching a lot of TV, which he admits to, that he's, you know, under the influence more so of of the white culture than he is in touching of the roots of the the black culture. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. I mean, obviously, Jordan Peele comes from TV himself. I mean, his most recent movie, which I didn't care for, but I, I think that you guys disagree with me. Uh, nope is can be read as a metaphor for for television and movies, and it it talks more about television. There's a little subplot about television. Like this is clearly something that Jordan Peele is interested in: is how we relate with media. In that sense, what you said, basically, that television represents white culture and how it influences Chris and how it dominates him, maybe? I don't know. We're both struggling with words a little bit, but you kind of said it better than I did. But yeah, essentially, essentially that. There needs to be more Black representation in media. That's the bottom line of that one. 
Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think it's more than that. Like, television is also just the fantasy, and I, I, it, it is the fantasy. It is the perfect world where everyone is equal, and your mother, where your mother hasn't been hit by a car. You can get absorbed in that and get away from the real world. And I do think this movie is talking a lot about this association. Right. Because in order for hypnotism to work, you have to be in a suggestive state. You have to already have that want or quality. And so with this backstory, it does show that that Chris um, is more suggestive to that, possibly because of what you're saying, by using the television in his past as as a way to escape. Yeah. The television is a hypnotic force in itself. It is. Also, Catherine Keener was in Being John Malkovich, which has a similar premise. Oh, you're right. Anyway, you already heard that. You know that. <laughs> Something else that I found really interesting, um, uh, going way, way back to the fetishism of um, black bodies, was um, how the Armitage family and their friends are pretty much doing what white people have always done, which is using black bodies to empower them and get further along in life, whether it be, you know, elongating life, but also Mm. so many people go up like the guy who played golf. He wants to play golf again and become better. Or the grandfather um, wants to run again and can get further by running. And then of course um, we've talked about Stephen Root's character enough, but yeah. And that way I found it really interesting. Um, Obviously through slavery, we've, we've seen that, white people were using black people to to make their wealth um and not do any work uh i mean but throughout all of history uh specifically one of the articles um leah anderson notes um marion j sims who is known as the founding father of gynecology and how he would uh conduct experiments on black women and i think we see that a lot throughout science as well oh doing research for this i found a lot of those which is terrifying but yeah essentially a lot of white people have gone on to make names for themselves and find fortune and fame through the uh, brutalization of of black women yep Uh uh-huh well you know i wish i was surprised i know it's just funny that like you know get out was part of the the beginning moments of that like re re relearning experience um for a lot of people i think uh, so much so that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of white people saw the movie and they're like, oh, let's give this an Oscar. <laughs> I feel guilty, <They're- laughs> but not too many, but I feel guilty enough about the way that I and my ancestors have treated black people that we should award this film. I mean, this film should be awarded. I, I, like, it, it's a great fucking movie, but I think it does play into... Like that, that white guilt, that the film doesn't purposely take control of it. I think it, it uses it in a helpful way of, of the white guilt in a way that people will like realize that that exists. I will point out uh, with the Academy, with the Oscars stuff in the Academy, we don't have statistics on what the actual vote was. We only know the nominees and the winners. Um, Get Out was after, I, I think it was right after the two years of the hashtag Oscars So White stuff. And the Academy actually had responded to that and expanded its voter base specifically the year that Get Out mm. was nominated. So there were a lot of new voters that year. And I think that it is possible, obviously this is pure speculation, but it is possible it's the new voters who were 
expanded specifically in thinking like we should be less old white people specifically. Uh, and the, these new voters coming in who were not just old white people were maybe the ones who voted for Get Out. Yeah, totally. But still, I'm sure a lot of white people voted for Get Out. I would have voted for Get Out. I know. I would have voted for Get Out, too. Um, I would have. Uh, but on the basis of it being a, a fantastic film that is still. Yeah. This was like, I don't fucking know what number of time I've watched this and it, it holds up so well. And you don't think you're influenced by white guilt at all? I probably. I mean, I, I think to, to deny that would be to deny a lot of things. But I think like. Yes. Yeah. I I, I watching this movie the, for the first time obviously had a really big reaction, not just because of how good the content was, but because of, you know, where I stood in the characters. Um, and and knowing exactly the culture of of the white people in Connecticut and how they treat people. And, and I think like during that scene when Rose is taking Chris around and um, showing him off or, you know, uh, like a prize pig essentially because he is about to be bet on, but everyone has a comment about Chris and in, in a different way of how they view him, you know? Um, yeah. Like the wife saying, Oh, is it really better? Is it really bigger? Like, yeah, we've all heard those comments and we've all let them slide at one point or another. So I think like yeah, there, definitely. there is a reaction here that everyone who watches this movie is involved in, in, in some point of the film. So I think we're about the time that we can start comparing these films. It, it is so interesting after, you know, get out is from the black perspective. Um, and as we agreed was primarily for a black audience, whereas uh skeleton key is by a, <laughs> bunch of white people one thing i found really interesting that you were talking about with chris's character in particular is just analyzing him so what do you think caroline's purpose was in comparison chris in, in terms of like entering this world in skeleton key maybe you'll have something deeper to say about her um i i, I honestly i kind of see her as a bland character and i don't think that she was the best choice through which to tell that story oh. um i mean i already said that i think the story would have been more interesting with a black protagonist like jill with caroline it's weird because like i'm saying all these things about how chris is disassociating caroline isn't she's kind of like makes really massive leaps in logic she's like oh a stroke victim is asking me to help him someone must be controlling him and it's like <laughs> what he had a stroke of course he wants you to help him it's like <laughs> I, I don't i don't understand these leaps in logic she's like this old woman is afraid of the mirror, so maybe he is too. I should hold up a mirror in front of him and be like so slow and methodical about it just to freak him out. It's like what? What? That you shouldn't do that. That that, that one was pretty hard. Oh, interesting. I see. For me, maybe it wasn't clear enough, and maybe because I've seen this movie a hundred times, but um. I, I found her character to be a lot more, um, a lot deeper than that. I felt, yeah, these are leaps, but I think they, they set the foundations of it pretty well. I think her backstory with her father is so important. Um, how essentially Caroline's character was so lost in life. She dropped out of school to just help out her friend's bands and stuff. Um, supposedly, we're not sure, but maybe that's what brought her to New Orleans in the first place. She's not from there. She's from Jersey. Um, and then while she was off doing God knows what, her father got sick and died before 
she could really go back and take care of him. And so we see that as her motivation for this entire uh, thing, that this grief that she's suffering through. Um, and we've covered grief enough. But I see that grief motiva- motivating her in, in that sense, specifically for the, the ghosts and stuff and for this spiritualism, is that she wants to believe in that stuff. Because if, if she does, her father would have some sort of better rest or, you know, better care. Oh, oh I didn't get that at all. <laughs> um, I mean, I saw it as... Like a lot of things in this movie, I just kind of saw it as sloppy. And I, while I think the movie is trying to comment on race, I think that part of the reason it's race stuff is so sloppy is because that's not what it's mostly interested in. Mm-hmm. That it's mostly interested in this fear of growing old and dying. That uh, Caroline leaves her job in the beginning because she feels that the people at the hospital and the hospice... Uh, do not care about the dying that they are taking care of. And she wants to go somewhere where she can make a difference. So I'm going to go work with a wealthy white family instead. (laughs) Um, It doesn't really. Okay. You do you. Um, That really is interesting though. Cause yeah. Okay. Talking about that moment that she decides to leave her, her original job was when she's going to throw away uh, this box of of I forget his name, but the car- the the old man's stuff in a dumpster. And after them saying, you know, he has no family, Mr. Talcott, Mr. Talcott, he has no family, no one to take care of him. We're just going to dump his stuff, and there goes his memory. Like nothing lives on after that. Yeah. Does that not feed into exactly what Cecile and Justify are doing, and that they want to elongate their yeah. life in this tradition and be remembered? In a sense. I mean, the end of the film is that Caroline becomes a dying old woman. She becomes Mr. Mm. Talcott. Except white. Except white. I I feel like it's just a stretch when you tie them into each other. I don't know. I mean, I see what you're I see where you're coming from. If it's not obvious, this is also like this is a deep analysis. <laughs> After years and years and years of thinking about this movie. Um, yeah. But I, I do, what I did find really interesting um, because we are comparing is that Get Out was essentially film. Like it, it's the same mm-hmm. plot, you know? Yeah. An, an outsider exactly comes plot. in. Yeah. People don't want to die. There is a fear of aging in here. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that's also where it's at odds with itself. Cause like I was saying that people seem to interpret the movie as a revenge story and I don't, think it is actually a revenge story because i think it's really about this desire for immortality and this fear of death and that winds up being at odds with the other things that it could be saying which i think would be more interesting i see that i think for me i'm, I'm gonna make a stretch here and okay try to tie this together and let's see how this works so <laughs> immortality i think one thing that we can agree on maybe you don't agree but uh, one thing that has been said about immortality is that your stories and what you leave behind is what makes you immortal right like this is a belief that a lot of people have your your kin you know whatever whatever you leave behind that that's what makes you immortal sometimes and a lot of the time this is through tradition tradition is passed on um, specifically in families like we see in get out you know the grandparents passed it on to the parents who passed it on to their kids it's a tradition to put back black people into a sunken pace and take over their bodies <laughs> it's the tradition of this family um but in one way that that is immortal and so i think 
with that tradition comes a lot of culture, which lies in more race. I think like that to me is more of the the stretch here. I mean, I'll give you the tradition. I think definitely both of these movies are discussing that heavily. Um, And they both definitely tie into this passing down and from generation to generation. One is talking about more how white families pass things down generation to generation. The other is talking more about how black families pass things down generation to generation. Also, though, in a way of like each one touching on tradition in that sense, they kind of also touch on the great replacement theory. Do you know this? Uh, Remind me. I've definitely heard that before. So the great replacement theory is essentially the um, a a fear of white people is that non-whites or non-white immigrants are coming in to replace them in society, replace their political power, do the uprising like you were talking about in Haiti um, with the enslaved people Mm. and basically the, quote, erasure of the culture of white people. Mm. So I kind of see that in a sense of like if we're talking about tradition, there is like and possibly an erasure thereof or an advancement thereof um, and get out. I feel more of like an advancement and, and skeleton key more of an erasure mm. and, and fitting into like the fear of, of othering. Get out still plays into white people being afraid of being replaced. Like you have the grandfather spends his entire life being upset that he was beaten by a black man at sports. You have the the brother trying to show that he's superior to black people by overpowering them. Uh, Things like that. But then it also has that that white people's response to that is to appropriate black culture and to become black. Yeah, which is nuanced and very odd, but also is exactly what we're seeing or, you know, what, what, what we are seeing with the appropriation. For the skeleton key... It's a little bit harder, but it, but it does it, it plays on these fears. I think it's it's less so in like the story and the representation itself in in the film, but more so of like how they're how they're selling the story to to people and to audiences. It because it really is preying on on vilifying these these two black characters and yeah. their culture. And in that sense, like we we accept that as an audience because that's what we've seen, but also because it plays into the great replacement theory, I think. In the skeleton key, the black people are literally replacing the white people. Yes. Old man Thorpe, the banker, accidentally killed his own children and raised two black people in their place who then killed him. Yeah, and I think that that directly plays into that, um, which is horrible that this is, yeah. This is not what, this is not what (laughs) horror movies are for, guys like come on have we learned nothing <laughs> yeah i mean with that like along with this idea of cultural appropriation what we're also getting at is the loss of agency in both movies that in uh skeleton key caroline is losing her agency to this black couple that possesses her as well as the lawyer um and in get out i mean the entire second place is you are a passenger in your own body yeah, exactly. And I, as the two articles that we had mentioned earlier, you know, both of them mention body snatching in their their title, but that's what it is. It's like this loss of agency is the body snatching, which I find so fun. Which I find not funny. I find it interesting because usually when we think of body snatching, 
obviously we think of Invasion of the Body Snatchers or some like alien movie. But here... Which is weird because that's not what Invasion of the Body Snatchers is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. But you know what I mean? Like like some alien movie um, where they mind control us. Yeah, the thing. Thank you. The thing. The thing being a perfect example. Um, go listen to our episode on the thing. It's like number two episode. It's a really good episode. Um, yeah. but yeah, it 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 brings the fear. Oh, I love this. The call is coming from inside the house. Boom, done. That's what it is <laughs> in the in these two movies. <laughs> oh man, wait. How is it the call is coming from inside the house? Because it's not aliens. They're not from another planet. This is our planet. This is our Earth. This is our country. These are. Our you know, it's it's literally like these are the people that we're dealing with day to day. It's 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 the fear that we're greeted upon day after day, hour, hour after hour that we have to confront in ourselves. But we're dealing with outsiders in the movies and we're dealing with othering and different cultures. Yes. If anything, it's interesting. The movies almost parallel each other in that they're kind of expressing the same fear, but opposites. Like in the skeleton key, it is white people being afraid of black people stealing their agency and then get out. It is black people afraid of white people stealing their agency. Yeah. I would argue one of those fears is much more justified than the other. Uh, <laughs> yes. And not the one that involves justify. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but they are both dealing with this similar fear. It's weird that white people have the same fear of black people that for black people is actually a more justified fear that is historically like this has happened a lot in history. That's, that's, it's really like, I I understand the history backs up that fear. Yeah. But then why do white people have the same one? No, that is interesting. And I think that's exactly what makes the skeleton key so messy. It's because it's like, look, we both kind of have this fear, but then doesn't make any statement or touch on it or go deeper into it at all. Yeah. I really do want to hear like a a non-white perspective on these movies. Um, Please tell us if we are way, way off the mark or if there's something that we missed or if there are extra layers that went completely over our heads, please let us know. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And as we said earlier, like we're both very aware of, our whiteness and our um, ignorance towards certain things. We can only go far as far as like the research that we did. And and we did try in our research to primarily find sources from, from black writers and their coverage of both of these films. But um, yeah, there, there is, there is a limit. Did you learn anything about yourself when you first watched get out or the skeleton key? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Nothing. Yeah, I, I like, want to go deeply to in on on mike on our horror movie podcast but uh yeah catch catch me somewhere else we can chat about it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well i think it's time for rob's favorite part of the show which is the bone review section where we rate each movie on a scale of uh zero to four bones starting us off with the skeleton key is devin shepherd Look, I'm aware there are there are problems with this movie. Okay, I, I, I'm aware, but this movie meant so much to me when I was younger. After going through it and looking uh, at this film with the, with this lens, specifically in the, in the race lens, I was like, okay, why the hell did this movie mean so much to you? I'm gonna chalk it up to the fact that like 
I loved Kate Hudson's character. I know you had problems with it, her, David, but like I think I thought she was a really complex, cool character that showed, you know, she she was caring, but not in a way where she was weak. And that was a female character that I hadn't seen so many times on film. And then by the point where we get to um, Kate Hudson, Caroline running out of the house and Gina Rowland's Violet going after her with a shotgun, like just this older woman and this younger woman having a shoot off. It was so fucking epic and definitely not like anything I'd seen before. So I know guys made this movie and it fucking sucks, but I still see this movie as like some strong um, female characters. And so it meant a lot to me. I also have an obsession with voodoo and hoodoo and and new orleans in general and the whole history of the city and um music and 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 the jazz and i know this is like sounds so bad but like i i it's all of my favorite things so i think it it started a little bit with this film and it it really shows uh so much of 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 that life in new orleans particularly um it's scary. I didn't see the twist coming at first. I think the performances are pretty good. They did John Hurt bad, though. He really should have done more with that movie. Because of the nostalgia, I'm going to give it three and a half films. Okay, David, you can tear it apart now. Let me know your thoughts. We'll start with the good things, because there are a few really good things that I do genuinely like about this movie. The first is Gina Rowland's performance. The second is Kate Hudson's hair. She has really good hair. And the the third is the twist is I, I don't think I saw coming the first time I watched the movie either. And watching it again, you can pick up on all the foreshadowing. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. Like uh, there, there's when when the lawyer Luke is getting to know uh, Kate Hudson better, and Gina Rollins walks up. It's like ah, well, you, you kids are getting to know each other. I see. And when you watch it again, you're just like oh, she's super jealous because this is her fucking husband obviously um and things like him talking about how like oh in our day we used to curtsy there's a lot of like subtle things that when you know who these characters are you pick up on them and they're cool it's not enough to like make the movie fun to rewatch in my opinion (laughs) i feel like a lot of it really drags just caroline is just bland and makes really massive leaps in logic that on a rewatch, like on the first, there's there's nothing more to it than the mystery, and once you know the mystery, it's kind of dull. And then there's all the problematic stuff. <laughs> it is a good twist, and I wish there was more to it than that. And I still think that like it, it's just good enough that I am mournful for how much better it could have been with a black protagonist if Jill was cast in the Kate Hudson role instead of being the most stereotypical black best friend trope that you could imagine who has absolutely no effect on the plot whatsoever. The one other moment that I want to call out though, the the one the one moment when it works that it's Kate Hudson instead of a black woman is a complete throwaway line that is entirely out of place and complete nonsense where where Kate Hudson says, "I quit college to help with a friend's band. I was always on the road." I'm just like, that doesn't fit your backstory at all. Oh, that's because this is an almost famous Easter egg. I love almost famous. Cool. But yeah, I'm uh, chew bones because I like the twist. Now we get to hear from Rob from the other realm of the bathroom. 
Hey, what's up, guys? I guarantee you I am not recording this from the bathroom, although my bowels feel like they're about to explode. So first up, we have the skeleton key. And I'm sorry, Devin, I just really don't see much merit in this one. It is uh, it's a little bit boring. Um, actually, it's so boring and forgettable that when I was watching it, I realized at the very end that I had seen this movie in the theater and I'd completely forgotten what happened. Now, the twist is kind of interesting, and I definitely agree they could have done a whole lot more with the race relations aspect, although I can vehemently disagree with David that it would be more interesting with the black protagonist. I actually think that would take away from the most interesting angle they could have used this movie, which is like kind of going with the great replacement theory, which I'm so glad you mentioned, Devin, because that is, I think, the correct way to view a movie like this. And I definitely agree that it would be a lot more interesting if they'd kind of gone further down that path. Instead, it kind of feels like they just like played with the issue without diving in. And if there's anything I dislike the most about any kind of media or art, it's when artists are afraid to go all the way, when they only go halfway. And uh, if you see my review track record, you probably will realize that I like movies that tend to take an idea and run with it the furthest, um, which we might see later today. Uh, I also really don't love the performances in this, um, especially John Hurt, who's just completely wasted. And even like the action sequences are kind of okay. Um, the ending is kind of like a gut punch, which is cool. So it definitely gets points for that. And I actually think the lynching scene is one of the more interesting parts of the movie, although it felt kind of tame um, watching it now. And I don't necessarily agree that it was in bad taste, except that it was kind of wasted as uh, a potential for like greater shock value. Um, in any case, I, I do kind of think this is a poor movie. I don't think it's awful, um, but I just don't think it's very good. So for that reason, I'm going to give it one and a half bones. Okay. Anyway, moving on to Get Out. Uh, I'll I'll just I'll just go with this one. So Get Out. I, it's hard to summarize Get Out because this movie is just it's it it's just solid. I really enjoy this film. I think the script is really cool. There's so many Easter eggs, which makes this film really fun. But I think for me, out of everything, yes, the script's great, but the performances are so fucking killer from every character. It's like Daniel Kaluuya. Nails it. Allison Williams, who I never enjoyed watching or thought that she had acting chops before this. And yes, I was a fan of girls. Fucking kills it exactly the way that she needs to be. Great casting choice. Bradley Whitford does well. Catherine Keener is just Catherine Keener. Lakeith Stanfield? Fucking A. I love him so much. He does great in this. And then I could keep going. I know David and I have a really big thing about... Betty Gabriel, and I'm sure he'll mention it in, in his review. But yeah, every, everyone gives a, a, a killer performance here. Um, the directing is well done. Um, it is thrilling. It is engaging. I have issues with the third act. Um, I just fall off. By, by that point, I think there are a couple moments that lag for me, um, especially upon upon rewatch. It leaves a little bit of holes. Yeah, I, I don't really have many bad things to say. I just I just feel like it lags a little bit. So I'm going to also give this one three and a half bones. All right, David, what you got? What were the setbacks? The third act. The entire third act. I'm just like... Ah! Oh, I love the third act. Bored. Really? Wow. Okay. Um, I think the third act is absolutely perfect in every way. Um... <laughs> 
I'm so glad they did not go with the original ending of the movie where uh, it would have actually been the cops who would have arrested him. And then he was going to talk to Rod on, uh, at the jail and just be like, oh, it's cool, we won, we're fine. Um, I think that would have been a terrible, sad, depressing ending that would just not have been a nice message. I, I prefer that it is inspiring and encouraging and shows him overcoming these horrible people. I know a lot of people in talk about always bring this movie up as like one of those movies where the protagonist is screwed after the fact anyway. Why should you get him? Just like, but he's not though. Like there's really clearly evidence of everything. There is literally like a, a, a brain surgery that he just left in the middle of the brain surgery. Chris is not a brain surgeon. He doesn't know how to fake that shit. And then you, like, have all these corroborating witnesses, like Dre, who you just go up, snap a photo of him, and say, hey, is all this of Chris said true? And he'll just say, yes, please help me, uh, save me, everything he said is true. <laughs> I am a prisoner. <laughs> like, no, he's he's fine. He'll, he'll, he'll be okay. He's, he's going to get off with this, and uh, everyone's going to completely freak out over everything that's happening watching this movie after watching this movie after the skeleton key made me appreciate it even more because all of the things that the skeleton key in my opinion does wrong get out this well i do like chris as a character i love that he's resistant to the mystery i love that he is resistant to figure out what's going on because he has a lot to lose like it, it It is that dissociation that if he admits what's going on, then it becomes real. But it's also like, I, I mean, he has a five-month relationship going on that will be thrown completely out the window if he admits that this subtle racism is maybe more than that. I love everything about this movie, and it's so good, and there is so much to rave about. And yeah, Betty Gabriel is, Betty Gabriel is fucking amazing. She's just absolutely wonderful in this film and why doesn't she have a bigger career right now um i love Betty gabriel i love all the actors in this movie i think they all do an outstanding job i think jordan peele did a great job directing the film uh there's that one shot in the beginning when he first meets the parents um and we've been building up to this moment we've been building up nerves of it and then when he finally gets to them at the door we just see it in this big, huge, extreme wide shot that is even dollying out. And, like, we don't get to really get a clear idea of their reactions. It's, again, it's disassociating. It's, it creates more of this mystery. Uh, this is a really well-directed movie. A lot of inspiration from the Stepford Wives. Oh, man, I, I love everything in this movie. <laughs> this might be the best movie we've covered on the podcast. Like, let's get out. Four Bones. Of course, it's four bones. <laughs> Damn. Damn. That's a good review. I feel like you've given at least like one other review at that level, though I can't recall what movie that would be for. Probably one of the other four bone ones. I guess so. <laughs> Under the Two. Shadow, maybe? <laughs> oh, yeah. That might have been it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, Rob, what were your thoughts? Tell us from your, your toilet throne here. Oh, the great and terrible Get Out, the movie that made everyone run from the movie theater and scream for joy and put Jordan Peele on the map off his pretty good uh, Comedy Central show with uh, 
Key and Peele, which have some great skits and some also very bad skits that hit or miss. Anyway, what do I think about this movie? I do think it's very interesting, especially from an analysis point of view. Um, the scenes in the sunken place, I think, are definitely the best parts of the movie. They are riveting and they're shot incredibly well. I agree with Devin that the third act kind of falls apart. And from a horror standpoint, it, turn, it devolves into kind of like a slasher uh, film, which is really interesting. I love slashers and I love gore, but if you're going to show it, you might as well do it well. And this did not do it very well. And it kind of pulled back. There's also, and this is a trope of Jordan Peele that does not jive with me, even in his other two movies, which I enjoy all of his films. Uh, it's that he has a problem with mood. It's kind of inconsistent. It seems like he can't help but be funny at times, but rather than it being used as like kind of a comic relief to like in a, in a scene or following a scene of extreme tension or to kind of throw us off guard, it's just kind of within the fabric of the characters themselves. Okay, let me rephrase that. It's not within the characters themselves. It's within the pen itself and fighting with the characters. It doesn't seem to quite work and it always pulls me a little bit out of the films. Now, we see this even worse in Us, which I actually think is a superior movie just because of how bad shit it is. But also to to that reasoning, when you watch Get Out, you can feel a newer, younger director putting all these ideas together in a kind of mixing pot. And there's so many ideas kind of rolling around. And that's why it feels like so referential and at times like redundant and like regurgitory but it is very cool and you can see the source material is interesting it's you know um you guys have mentioned the stepford house wise the body snatchers being john malkovich all of these kind of body switcheroo movies that have to deal with like social status and our place in society and how the classes conflict that is when the movie is the best is kind of when we're stepping away from these things because the way the race relations are handled in this film are very interesting and it is from a certain perspective but it also kind of uh of its time and and you can kind of see it just borrowed from a lot of the literature on the subject and as someone who's read a lot of it it's not terribly interesting it it just kind of feels like repeated and repetitive um, in that way although seeing it as they hold him up and he is going for auction it's hard not to place that in the stark comparison with like uh, tropes of slavery which is extremely effective so at times it is great but at other times it's a little bit cringe although maybe that's because my perspective whatever but i don't think it's necessarily cringe just because i'm hearing it but i think it's because i've heard it before and even seeing this movie i felt that way now in the first viewing i wasn't as big a fan as i am now actually this, I think, is my second time watching, and I'm finding myself enjoying it much, much more, especially the scenes from the sunken place and all the imagery of seeing himself on screen. I kept thinking of uh, him viewing himself as like football athletes and star players and how, you know, uh, people who don't have athletic ability, uh, particularly people who are not black, might view them with like a kind of uh, hero worship and like fetishism. And I think that's really interesting. And that's one of the aspects that I find more subtle. And I think that's one of my other biggest problems with this film is it's not subtle at all. Everything is a sledgehammer. And from an analysis point of view, you end up trying to pick apart the deeper meanings underneath the sledgehammer. So it's like kind of the bits and pieces. And they're all just more of the same, more or less. Uh, 
Anyway, that aside, the uh, performances are very good. It's although the uh, um, the help who are enslaved, they kind of ham it up a little bit. Everyone else is fantastic, and it is really good. And it's, and it's a fun horror movie. That's why I see it as having such a mainstream appeal. So it is great to watch with other people around. So I'm going to give it two and a half bones. I think it's really good, and I like it a lot. For me, I don't get really what I want from a horror movie, which is usually a little bit more fear involved. Um, the mood's a little inconsistent, and uh, the ending kind of falls apart for me. So once again, I'm definitely not in the bathroom. Well, that about wraps it up for our analysis of The Skeleton Key and Get Out. Um, as we said, really, really want everyone's thoughts here. What did we get wrong? What did we get right? Um, did you see something else when watching these films? Tweet us at Cadaver Dogs Pod or hit us up on Instagram. We read all our DMs. We read all our comments. Um, same thing at, at Cadaver Dogs Pod. Next month, we have something special for you. So join us back here. Until then, see ya, mutts. By the way, I, I would have voted for Obama for a third term if I could.